You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio show for Monday, the 1st of August 2022. Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio, we're a show about bicycles, urban transport, micro-mobility, riding around your city, town, suburb, wherever you are. And uh, my name's Chris and thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of uh, current affairs. And uh, uh, 3CR, Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, we're proud to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Coming up on the show today, I'm going to be chatting to Julie from Port Phillip Bicycle Users Group. You might remember on my last show about a fortnight ago. I spoke to Alex from Stonington Bicycle Users Group. So I'm having a little bit of a thread on bugs and what they are and what we can do and uh, issues we're facing. Now, coming up today later at 11am after the show, after uh, Shebop, and uh, we'll be back Blacklock at 11am and on, on today's show there will be a special programming thing from Robbie for Uncle Archie um, Archie Roach who sadly passed away on the weekend so we a show with music and interviews and lots of stuff about uh, Archie who so many of us just loved and for his message and just beautiful beautiful words and music so on to a bit of news and events no, I didn't catch the spicy cough. I've uh, had just a cold. I've gone through the uh, rat tests and the like, and um, I just come up with a little bit of a croaky voice, so I'm perfectly fine, but just a little bit. Uh, hmm. But, yeah, and also I think uh, the last uh, almost four weeks of sitting up and watching the uh, magnificent uh, presentation of uh, the Tour de France men's and now the Tour de France femme in the last week. And uh, it was kind of, uh, I don't know if it was quite deliberate or not, but if you're familiar with the Tour de France, the men's edition, the last stage of the tour is usually just, well, it is just a professional of the ride into Paris, yeah, because the standings and the GC and all that sort of stuff is worked out on the second last stage. And uh, there's no attacks or that sort of thing on the last stage unless they want to win the sprint finish. Now, what I thought was interesting last night watching the uh, last stage of the uh, Tour de Femme was, uh, no, they didn't get a processional. They had uh, a brutal climb, and the last couple of hundred metres of that was about 24%. I don't know if there's an analogy there or not, uh, but it felt like it to me in terms of uh, either women cycling or analogies for many, many, many other things. Probably quite a bit which we're going to be discussing on the show today about why are small to moderate uh, changes 
with modestly budgeted sort of projects so goddamn hard to get across the line, especially in Melbourne because I'm looking at stuff in Sydney where, you know, they've had the Sydney cycleways and uh, another article out, micromobility report of how businesses and the like in the Sydney CBD in the area are looking predominantly to, or, you know, renewed focus towards, you know, cycling and the like for their activities. What the hell is going on in Melbourne? Well, it's a state election year and no doubt Julie uh, will fill us in a lot more because we keep uh, getting the same issues. You know, you go back about a month ago when I was talking to Paul out at Eltham and what the proverbial has happened to Fitzsimons Lane out there, the intersection or the roundabout out there is, you know, I, I kind of first looked at it and I thought it's overblown and I thought they haven't even applied it's like major projects get whatever they want or whoever the, you know, the scope of work is, they get whatever they want. And small to medium projects, even tiny projects, get an inordinate amount of pushback or open to either weaponization or people who are opportunists taking advantage of the fact, oh, it's about cycling. Uh, can I push my uh, whatever agenda here? And there's... Uh, a real asymmetrical sort of thing to it. And the, and the thing is with this show too, I'm speaking from the perspective of I'm not uh, an urban planner or a transport engineer or traffic engineer or any of that sort of thing. I'm just trying to interpret what's publicly available as, you know, to use the jargon, an end user, either as a pedestrian or as someone who rides a bike. We're just kind of trying to unpack that. And it's been an ongoing theme since 2008 since we started this show of, what the hell does our authorities think they're doing when, yeah, things are rapidly changing and we have massive, massive, massive externalities of why we've got to change the way that we approach transport? Like, you know, as I uh, keep repeating, the best throughput you can get is public transport followed by active transport. In Melbourne, no, not going to listen to any of that. You know, you have to have a look at our local streets or where you are, have a look at the uh, local pickup or drop-off at your school. It's... It's bonkers. Anyway, on to something positive. ABC Radio in Perth put out a really great article. Advocates say two-wheeled EVs are a cheaper, greener option to decarbonise transport. And uh, basically, in the push to decarbonise Australia's economy, much has been made of the need to transition electric cars. But advocates say there is a much cheaper and greener EV, consider, the electric bike. And while you'll likely have to wait 12 months uh, waiting list and come up with at least $40,000, God, that's cheap, to buy a uh, electric car in Australia at the moment, you could get in with a two-wheeled vehicle with a battery, which costs less than 10 cents to charge it quite easily. And... Uh, it's a fairly good comprehensive article uh, uh, references to Chris Jones, president of the Australian Electric Vehicle Association. And uh, <laughs> means well, but when I read things like this, it goes, you know, says many of us have forgotten that bicycles are a form of transport and often see them as fit for fitness and recreation. I think that's also an example of how our news and uh, what influences us has been absolutely atomised. <laughs> And it's hard to get those cut-through messages. It's a bit sad that uh, this humble, very efficient, highly affordable electric vehicle is often overlooked. Well, I've had several shows on that. And again, you know, with uh, the Canberra Electric Bike Library, which is a lending facility, cheap 
in comparison to a vehicle, as in the four-wheeled motorised fossil fuel uh, vehicle, but they're still you're still looking at a few thousand dollars. You, in the higher range, you can go right up from ten to twenty thousand dollars. So, again, is it equitable? Personally, I don't think so at the moment. I, I do just, you know, you know, I have discussed um, um, e-bikes on the show quite a bit. I still don't think they're quite equitable for everyone's transport solution, and it's just really, really, really disconcerting seeing that. Uh, you know, the push towards electric vehicles coming from most political parties when in uh, direct contrast we've got to be pulling back on resources and what we can do. I think uh, the interview I did quite oh, about two months ago with uh, Councillor Jonathan Shree from the Brisbane City Council who were talking about, you know, in terms of distribution or resource or uh, how could I say extractive industries to do with rare earths uh, are we just swapping out another problem for another problem when we are overextended and i think on the weekend or was it sometime last week we had a earth overshoot day which is a uh, event where or a, a, a date every year where it, where we overshoot our earth's resources and what it takes for the earth to renew what we've extracted as in, I think this is more kind of organically and plant growth and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's very, very uh, interesting how we are continuing as business as usual or whatever normality is right now, where there are solutions, there are things we can do and different ways of looking at our transport, uh, you know, either availability, needs, resources and the like. Anyway, I'm going to take a break and after that I'm going to be chatting to Julie from Port Phillip Bug. Get your free ticket to the upcoming Forum for Dwelling Justice, an activist-driven event featuring speakers including Senator Lydia Thorpe, Debbie Kilroy, Rouge Amity, Wick Gari and more. The forum brings together grassroots activists and campaign groups to strengthen solidarity movements resisting ongoing colonial dispossession, housing injustice, incarceration, and poverty. The forum ends with film screenings and a discussion between Uncle Larry Walsh, the filmmakers, and guests with lived experience of homelessness, displacement, squatting, and public housing. The event will run from 1 to 7 p.m. on Friday, the 26th of August at the Capitol Theatre, 113 Swanson Street, Narm. Entry is by donation. Join us to identify the radical potential for resistance to dispossession and displacement in Narm. To register, head to cur.org.au forward slash events or check the 3CR website for details. The Forum for Dwelling Justice is brought to you by RMIT's Centre for Urban Research a 3CR supporter. Australian Plant Society Yarra Yarra Group is having its Australian Plants Expo on the 27th to 28th of August, 10am to 4pm at the Eltham Community and Reception Centre, 801 Main Road, Eltham. Huge native plant fair. Thousands of native plants included grafted, uncommon species and indigenous plants with books on related subjects, crow's foot pottery, gift stalls, native flower displays and activities for children. Refreshments will also be available. 
Wheelchair friendly, adults at $5, concessions $4 and children free. Check out our website for plant lists, apsyarayarra.org.au forward slash Australian Plants Expo. A 3CR supporter. Good morning. You're welcome to Yarra Basque Users Group Radio on 3CR. And on the line today, Julie from Port Phillip Bicycle Users Group. Yeah, good morning, Chris. So we have a lot to discuss today. So how did you get started with Port Phillip Bug? I joined the Bug when I moved back to Melbourne in about 2014. So we're just a little bug, but kind of mighty. We, we run social rides and do a bit of advocacy for better riding conditions. So if your listeners don't know, Port Phillip is the council that runs between Port Melbourne right through to St Kilda and down to Elwood. You're kind of like the first one out from the inner city from going down St Kilda Road and then you hit Bayside. Exactly. We're kind of right between the city and the bay. You've had a lot going on down there. How do you want to uh, kind of approach a couple of big issues that you've had in the area? Like, you know, there's a Kerford Road, there's uh, Bridge Street. Um, there was a bit another one in the last week, which uh, the bridge, oh, sorry, the uh, Beach Road glass issue. Where do you, where, yeah. we throw so, something at the dartboard and what do you want to come up with? <laughs> uh, well, let's start from the top. Yeah. The big issue, sort of the big policy in the area is the council has a pretty good transport policy which has a really nice network of protected bike lanes that they were supposed to build in the decade between 2018 and 2028. So, you know, when you look at the map, that looks fantastic and it includes sort of the big rides that lots of big routes that lots of people know, like St Kilda Road, um, which goes down and joins Brighton Road, and Beaconsfield Parade, and which which is sort of joins onto the Beach Road route. So... They've got this fantastic map and the plan, but they've been really slow about actually building those routes. So we're four years into it and they've completed one and they've got a couple more in planning stages. Mm. So, so it's all very slow. It sounds very familiar with uh, Yarra where we had a previous bicycle strategy which promised five and we got half of one. And I think we can extrapolate a little bit further out what is going on here. The council and the officers and you know, consultants on these things have the best of intentions, but there seems to be a, well, there actually isn't, seems to be, it's actually present of just the smallest sort of things just not happening on, on, a, on a reasonable timeline. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're small things. I mean, they're not, not expensive when you compare them to, you know, the rest of the road budget. <laughs> But politically, they're very difficult to get through because generally a separated bike route does require the removal of some car parking places. And, you know, if you're a person who likes to park out the front of your house, that's really quite challenging for you. So there's a lot of, you know, agitation against those those car parking places being removed. Yeah, and I guess that's the same all over Melbourne. I'll tell you, when I was talking about the projects, they're, they're small in comparison to some of the things we see around Melbourne for major projects and the big build and all that sort of thing. And it's just this asymmetrical thing we get every time. Right. It's fascinating when you compare it to those those projects because I like to compare it to the SkyRail project out on the Dandenong line. And that was passionately opposed by the people who lived within a 
block of it, and they were you know, convinced it was going to ruin their house prices and be the desolation of their suburb. And a lot of those, the exact people who were campaigning against it, now that it's built, have come and said, well, actually, it's fantastic. It's this amazing community resource. It's connected up the suburb. There's, you know, a shared path. There's little basketball courts and rock climbing walls. And it's, it's been a real positive thing for them. And I feel like that was pushed through despite those concerns from the people who lived alongside it. And it'd be great to see that we could take that kind of network point of view for bike infrastructure and say, you know, the people who live alongside it, you know, they do have concerns, but it also is a facility for the wider community. And it is possible that it could actually make their, their street better. Yeah, it's creating those undercroft areas, especially in areas where we don't have, you know, phenomenal amounts of open space. And you, yeah. you just have this whole new thing of what was in your suburb opens up for you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Kerford Road. <laughs> it's one of the widest roads I can think of in the inner suburbs. What oh, on earth yeah. happened? So, it's a four, four lanes of, of traffic. It's got a ridiculously wide central reservation really struggled to kick a footy across it. Um, so there's, there's space there. Space isn't really the issue. It's one of the council's planned protected bike routes. And this year, the state government, through their pop-up bike infrastructure trial, said that they were going to trial a separated bike lane on sort of part of this road, about a kilometre of the road, and including a protected little bike lane where the road goes underneath the light rail line. And that was a real pinch point where cars would kind of veer into the lane as you sort of squeeze through that tunnel. Yeah, so so it actually sounded really good. The rest of the pop-up bike infra was just kind of paint on the road and shadows and a bit of speed humps and so on, um, mostly. But this bit we thought was really strategic and you know had real benefits for safety because this is actually a black spot for, for cycling. So we were really excited about that, but there was a bit of agitation against it. Uh, the residents had a lot of questions. I mean, some of them are really reasonable questions. Like, mm. so, so the actual plan was that they were going to put a bike lane in between the parking and the curb. And so the parking would move out into one of the traffic lanes. Um, there'd still be a, a traffic lane for people to drive down. And then there'd be a bike lane in between the parking and the curb. So the, the people who were living on there had a lot of questions about where were their bins going to go? Um, how would that whole, what they call floating parking work? And, I mean, I think they're reasonable questions, but Department of Transport kind of just collapsed. They didn't oh, sort of attempt to say, this is, these are questions that we can answer and, you know, it's a trial, so if things aren't working, we could try something different. Or, you know, here's where it's worked successfully in other parts of the, the city, which, which it has, gave up on it. I think it's the framing, too, of, like, if you say anything's for cyclists, uh, you get this imposition if you coming back and and we've had a lot of anti sort of you know I'm always trying to like put things in a you know neutral light but that some of the cycling opposition in this city is getting to well it's got one point of, the point of illogical because you get to Kerford Road it's part of it's council uh, controlled and the other half of you know Albert Road is uh, Vic Roads yeah 
and it's and it's yeah. part of the strategic cycling corridor. So there's all these things where they can just go right. We're doing this, but I think there's a problem with the strategic cycling corridors and the pop up line stuff where it's beholden to the local council to go yes or no when it should be uh, the state government. And but you've just said they get frightened, they back off. So what is this? Uh, I think there's a, there's a few different things going on. I mean, there is a bit of you know, anti-bike feeling, which I think is not helped by, you know, the tabloid media. And in Port Phillip Council, at the moment, we've got a couple of councillors who are sort of promoting themselves as being for the ratepayers, um, and they pretend that they're not going to waste anyone's money on, you know, this kind of ridiculous bike infrastructure <laughs> that they don't think anyone's going to use. And I think it's really quite interesting questioning them about that because they, they're they sort of penny-wise and pound-foolish there because they're really not giving people options to, you know, get away from using their cars and, you know, high petrol prices and use something that's a bit more, you know, economical for, for people living in the council. And they're also, you know, essentially knocking back state government money, state government investment in the council area. So they're sort of... Not not really delivering good value for money for their their constituents there. That is really well put because seeing some of the, some of the pop up lane stuff and the connectors uh, and you know just stuff that's been proposed like in areas like Darabin, it turned into a political football at council and it shouldn't be like that. And right. and it's the end user loses out and people who could have benefited. From you know the you know from a, a trial, and this is what these things are—they're a trial, and they're working as expected with you know feedback and the like. But it gets weaponized in the media, and there's got to be some better framing done for when these projects are coming in. Like you know the 100 kilometres of bike lane that uh, was announced two years ago—it's kind of kind of spluttered out because of this. Right. I mean, there's so many good ways to look at this. I mean, this yeah. street in particular, there's a bunch of schools that are on the street with, you know, McRobb down one end and Albert Park School and a couple of others just off it. So it'd be fantastic for getting kids to school. Yeah, there's there's so many positives for this project. Yeah, because it's also had a flow on, this is talk, still talking about Kerford Road, of m- probably messing up the rather glacial progress on um, the Shrine to Sea. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to be affected because the community consultation is very long and oh, very isn't <laughs> And they very clearly said that separated bike lane was one of their key objectives and that was endorsed by the project, um, you know, the project team, that, that that was also one of the things they were going to deliver. So I'm not sure where that's standing. They're saying they're going to reconsider, but, yeah, I'd, I'd like a clearer statement about yeah. their commitment to, to really deliver what the community's asked for here, which is a separated bike lane. Yeah, so just in the time we've got, Bridge Street, can you just talk to that for just a, a minute or so? Because that yeah. looked like it was being very well utilised and then it's, it's been snapped back by council as well, but it's still continuing, is it? I expect it's going to be removed. So oh. if you haven't been down there, it's an interesting thing. They've put the, the, a two-way bike lane in the centre of the road it's actually quite well protected by concrete bolts, sort of concrete curbs. And we rode down it and we found it was quite logical to hop on because you, you sort of enter and leave from a roundabout anyway. 
but I can see that if you were not very confident cyclist, this probably might be a little bit challenging. So I think, you know, there was there was some very mixed responses to, to that bit of infrastructure, and I think that they will probably withdraw it, um, which is a shame because they're not planning to replace it by anything, you improving it like a, a curbside separated bike lane there. Yeah. And... Do you, what do you know about the Bridge Road glass situation? It was around like Luna Park area, wasn't it? Because I had a couple of people I knew in my club got some shards and stuff in their tyres. So what do you know about that? I actually don't know anything about that apart from, you know, what I've read in the media. Yeah. Um, you know, there was there was a bit of glass around just on the new sort of green paint bits, which look like the bits they put on the surface, but this seemed quite different, like, yeah, as you say, shards. Yeah. Um, because we're trying to work out whether it was resin or shards, but the thing is, it's caused a lot of damage to people's treads and possibly rims. And um, a friend I was reading about had, and they had to remove around about uh, twelve pieces out of wow. one. Of, um, so what? And you know, we're just still trying to get to the bottom of that one. Uh, was it an accident? Was it malicious? But got to put these into context of the greater issue, which is you know, what I'm talking to you today is cycling in that area and um, improving it. Yeah, it feels like we, we have to work on these things, you know, one little street at a time. Yeah, so how can people find out more about uh, Port Phillip Bicycle User Group and um, what channels you've got and, you know, a little bit of engagement? Okay, so we've got a website at ppbug.org, that's all one word, and we've got a Facebook page and we put out an email newsletter every month or so. Oh, fantastic. And you're, you're on uh, Twitter and all that as well. Yeah. 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 So are you based at um, anything uh, down there? Any, uh, or is it you're predominantly online? We meet at the Eco Centre in St Kilda. Uh, we meet once a month, sort of alternating between in person and on Zoom just to make it a bit more accessible for different people. Yep. And we welcome new members or people who just want to check out what we're doing. Yeah, because you had that uh, community ride a few weeks ago on Bridge Street. So that yeah, you're out and about and doing stuff. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for making time today, Julie. Thanks, Chris. Love and, show. Yeah, I think with this sort of stuff is perseverance. Yes. Yeah. Okay, bye. 3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Backrose Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics and sells bikes to the local community. If you have a healthcare card, they'll give you a bike free of charge. To find out more, search for Vacro online or drop into the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. Well, that's all I've got time for today on Yarra Bosque Users Group Radio and uh, Radical Radio 3CR. And uh, coming up at 11am, as I mentioned in the intro, Robbie Blacklock is going to be doing a uh, special show for Uncle Archie Roach. Our podcast should be up later today on 3cr.org.au or at our mirror site, which is yarrabug.org forward slash radio. And don't forget, we're all uh, volunteers here and your subscription or donation keeps us on air. 
Have a lovely day and I'll be back in about a fortnight. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.